Amen. You can be seated. You know when I'm in, or in on a song, when it's, when it's really getting to me, when I can't sing half the words, I replace them with something else. Amen. Love that song. If you have your Bibles, take them to the little book of Jude. Jude chapter number one, and there only is one chapter. Right before Revelation, go to the end of the Bible, turn left one book, and you'll be at the book of the little book of Jude. For several weeks now, this makes our sixth week, We've been trying to squeeze every little gem of God's teaching from this book to help us as a people and as a church. Jude has been filled with warning. He's been explaining the dangers that are around the corner. He's been telling us what what these usurpers, these apostates look like, what they act like and how that we should be in response to that. Last week, I think we went from verse 27 uh, down through 23, and I told you in that message, I reserve the right to spend a whole summer, whole, not a whole summer, <laughs> a whole Sunday on verses uh, 22 and 23. And that's what we're doing today, because I don't think that what we had last week was... Uh, was really enough look at closely at these two verses. And so I want to look today in this Jude series at the evangelization of Jude. I had to have an Asian. Everything has been an Asian, identification and, and, uh, and all that. So, so exhortation. And so we're looking at Asians here. And so I thought we'd talk about Jude's evangelization. And really, these two verses are a... Or should stir our hearts to, to evangelize. What is evangel? Evangel is that good news, that, that good message to share the good message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at verses 22 and 23 and look at the evangelization of Jude. Jude 1, verse number 22. And some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And we're going to look at Jude's, uh, uh, Jude's interpretation of what we are doing when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you that death was arrested that my life was made new, that I was cold and dead in a tomb myself until that great glad day when I put my faith and trust in Jesus, when the light of the gospel broke through in this darkened heart and I was changed forever. Father, I pray that as we look at these words that you would remind us that the same good news that has been brought to us needs to be carried by us to those in the grave of their sin. Oh God, help Jude's words to penetrate our hearts. Put a burden the size of Pittsburgh on our back to share the good news of Jesus wherever we go. Father, I pray that you would help us as a church to be a people about the business of sharing the good news of Jesus. Wake us from our apathy, our slumber, and God make us carriers of the good news of Jesus. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. When speaking in 1869 to a group of blue-collar workers, 
blind, the blind hymnist Fanny Crosby was overwhelmed with the sense that some mother's boy before her must be rescued that night or not at all. As she returned to her room that night, all she could think about was that theme, rescue the perishing. That night, she wrote that very hymn that is in our hymn books that we know with the title, Rescue the Perishing. Listen to this first verse from that hymn. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Listen to the chorus. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful, Jesus will save. Fanny Crosby not only wrote that hymn, but she lived that hymn. She lived it. This was the theme song of her life's work. At about the age of 60, now this is 60 in the 1800s. 60 in the 1800s is different from 60 in the 2023s. You understand what I'm saying? We got all kinds of medical care, all kinds of doctors, and all kinds of things we know about living a healthy life. They didn't have that back then. At 60 years old, she began working downtown in New York City in rescue missions, spending several days a week in lower Manhattan witnessing to the down and out. Because she felt a calling to minister to the needy, she chose to live in near poverty in New York's ghettos despite her fame as a hymn writer. Just a few blocks from her little tenement apartment, was the Bowery, the halt for alcoholics and where every sort of depraved sin abounded. It was there where Fanny Crosby would go day after day to do exactly what she wrote in that hymn to rescue the perishing. You know, rescue the perishing needs not only to be the theme song of Fanny Crosby, but should be the theme song of every child of God. Every follower of Jesus Christ, the the epitaph of their life should be rescue the perishing, seeking to save the lost, caring for the dying. Jude 22 and 23 must have been the scriptural well. Did you see the parallels? The rescue Uh, uh, the mighty to save, the snatch them from sin and the grave. It must have been the wellspring from which Sister Crosby drew out her beloved hymn. All through this little epistle, Jude has been warning us of the apostate, those who have forsaken the gospel of of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that have, have infiltrated the assembly of God and is even turning the church towards apostasy. But in his closing statements, he reinforces the Christian obligation to fulfill the Great Commission. Jude didn't tell this church that they're to go hide on a hill and close the doors of a cave so that we would not be infiltrated. No, very much the opposite. He says, be aware of the infiltration, but go. Go out to seek 
and to save the lost. To reach out to the apostate with the glorious news of the ability and willingness of Jesus to save from, the destru- from destruction all that believe upon his name. In these two brief verses, Jude gives every child of God three instructions for us to follow that we might be evangelists. That we might evangelize the perishing souls in our sphere of influence. You know you have a sphere, right? Every one of us have a sphere. People that come in and out in our, in our place of influence in their lives. Whether it's the familiar face at the grocery store, the gas station. Whether it's down at the workplace in accounting or in shipping. It's those people in and our neighbors next door. It is those people around us that we are called and charged to share the good news with. And, and Jude gives us three, uh, three instructions on how we are to do this. And number one instruction is that we must be compassionate to the sinner that is doubting. Compassionate to the sinner that is doubting. Now, it's all fine and good to say, We are to be compassionate, merciful, have pity on those that that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one thing to say that, but it is very difficult to have compassion on those who care nothing for the most important thing in your life. They care nothing. Matter of fact, they don't give a care if they trample over it and stomp on, and denigrate, and deride the things that are so vital, that you believe are so vital to their eternity. If we're not careful, such a relationship can cause us to look upon them with indifference and apathy begin to grow in our hearts. That's why Jude implores us to have compassion on sinners. Notice, first of all, we see the sinner considering. The sinner considering in verse number 21. He said, "Keep uh, verse number 22, uh, for, uh, and of some have compassion. Notice this, making a difference. That phrase, making a difference, has been used as a as a mission phrase, you know how companies have this byline, you know, that goes with them. There have been many a ministry and many a church who have adopted the phrase making a difference as their mission statement or their byline. And what they mean oftentimes by that is they, they mean that they, their ministry, their, their reaching out to the lost is making a difference, is having an impact on the people that they reach with the gospel. Now, that may be true. As a matter of fact, I know it's true. If you reach anybody with the good news of Jesus and they lay hold of that for themselves, you're gonna, Jesus is going to make a difference in their life. And Jesus used you to make a difference on their life. There's no doubt about that. But oftentimes, I believe that they're referring to Jude 22. And that is not what Jude is saying. The phrase is translated from one word 
which means to separate thoroughly, to discern or to doubt. Those who have not made up their mind about Jesus. They're just not sure about this whole Christianity thing. They don't know what it's all about. It's not clear in their minds as what it all means. What does this cross mean? What does this Easter mean? What do these things mean to me? They are doubting. They are weighing out. They, They haven't made up their mind. Do you know that one of the largest religious denominations in America, no, I think it's the, by now it is the largest denomination of religious people in America are the nuns. Now, I'm not talking about Catholic nuns. I'm talking about when they survey for religion in this country and they ask people what religion they are, they usually fill in the blank by saying none. None of these above. They just have not made a decision. They are the nuns. William Barclay describes these, these nuns, as those flirting with falsehood. They are people who, for the most part, will not necessarily slam the door in your face if you talk to them about Jesus. They're not antagonistic toward... You ever ever tried to talk to somebody about Jesus that's antagonistic? They'll make you, they'll let you know right away that you can keep your gospel, you can keep your church, you can keep your, uh, your beliefs to yourself. And they, they're not antagonistic. That's not the nuns here. They're not antagonistic. They're what I call the honest agnostic. Honest agnostic. Um, you know the word agnostic? You know, you know what it means? It means they A, A, agnostic. A, not Gnostic, no, they don't know. And it's where we get our word ignoramus from. I'm sorry, that's just the truth. If you're an agnostic, you don't know. You're ignorant. Here, these people that are are being talked about here in Jude, that are are doubting, that are making a difference, they're, they're weighing out, they're the honest agnostic. Now, a lot of people will tell you they're an agnostic, but they've got their mind made up. You can't convince them otherwise. They're not, they're not an honest agnostic. But if you're an honest agnostic, it means you have not made up your mind, you're unclear, you don't know, that's exactly who we need to talk to. That's exactly who I want to share the gospel with. Those that just don't know. And the thing about it is, they're everywhere. Everywhere. There are people. You know, that's our problem. We think that we all live in the, a context of the 1980s or the, or the, the 1990s or, or the, even the 50s. And we believe that all around us are people that know the gospel, that know that Jesus came and died on a cross and rose from the grave and that we can be forgiven of sins if we believe on Him. On him. And we think that everybody around us already knows that. And oftentimes we think our context is everybody believes kind of what what we believe. But the reality is, is they don't. They don't. One of the most stunning examples, uh, when I ministered, I pastored a church in Rossville many years ago, Carrie had a co-worker, I think it was, or someone that was in Carrie's sphere of influence, and 
got to talking about spiritual things, maybe at work, at the clinic where she worked. And, and they went out to lunch one day and to talk further about this. She, she wanted to know some things and, and didn't seem to have things clear up in her mind. And so Carrie sat down at that table and began to lay out before her the truth of the gospel. How that Jesus came and lived and died. He was God's son, that he lived a perfect life. He died on a cruel cross that was buried in a tomb, raised from the grave. And because of that, we can trust Him and be forgiven of our sins. This woman that had lived in Rossville, Georgia, her entire life, had never, never heard such a story. They're all around us. Those kind of people are all around her, around us. Have compassion on those that are considering. Sinners that are considering. Also, we need to be the saint that is caring. Notice what he said in verse number 22. And of some having compassion. Having compassion. This word compassion is most often translated in scripture as mercy or pity. Compassion is, as one preacher put it, an inward sympathy resulting in an outward action. Compassion is more than just feeling pity. It is putting pity in action. The old saying is true. I remember Buster Seaton, one of my favorite preachers down through the years, one of the, one of the men that, that had, a, had just a way of sharing the gospel, had a zeal for God. He would often say this, the lost world will not care how much we know until they know how much we care. We care. You see, our greatest problem is not, as a church, this is me and this is you. Our greatest problem in this church it's not that we will not go out of our way to tell someone about Jesus. That we will not uh, uh, consider enough to leave a track somewhere or hand a service worker or someone a track. Or even that we will not invite someone to church. Our greatest problem in the church today is that we just don't care. That if you hand out a track, you do so under some sort of obligation that... Uh, that you you know that the preacher said you ought to do that. That's not care for the one that is lost. Jude is reinforcing the fact. Even in a world of apostates that seek to destroy this world, we need to care, have pity, a pity that goes into action. It's caring. We don't care enough to do anything to go out of our way for the lost sinner. But listen to how opposite Jesus was. Matthew 9, 36. But when he, Jesus, saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them because they were, they were distressed and scattered as sheep having no shepherd. Jesus, when he looked upon the multitudes, he was moved to a sickness in his belly. The word indicates to double over with pain. He was moved to compassion to such a degree on people who as a society would take him and nail him to a cross. And yet he would willingly have enough compassion, a compassion so deep that he would not only come from the Father's throne down to this place of earth, of pity, of, of shame and sorrow and heartbreak and hunger, but he would also go lay down on the cross, be nailed to the cross and let them take his life as a ransom for their souls. Have compassion on wandering sheep of which 
you and I were once a part of. Sir John Seeley said this, When the power of reclaiming the lost dies out of the church, it ceases to be a church. I ask you, search your hearts. Do we merit the final word in the name that's on that sign out there? Faith, community, church. Do we merit that name based upon what he says? Based upon the compassion that Jude is exemplifying that we ought to have and that we see in the Lord Jesus, do we merit the name church from that side? We must be compassionate to the sinner that is doubting. Second of all, we must be courageous for the sinner that is in danger. Look at 23. These are spellbinding words. Look at what it says. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Secondly, Jude reminds us of the courage that we must have when rescuing the perishing. Have you ever heard of the Louvre in Paris? I'm like my bucket list. I would love to go to the Louvre and, and, and see some Monet. And uh, Van Gogh, uh, these are artists that I've admired and loved their work for years. Impressionistic artists that just had a way with color. I, I want to go to the Louvre one of these days. But the, it, is, it is the most, listen, the, the Louvre is the most important museum in the world. From Rembrandt to Michelangelo, all of the most famous paintings in the world are on display at the Louvre. Years ago there was a newspaper they had a competition on who would come up with the best answer to this question. Here's the question. If fire broke out in the Louvre and you could save only one painting, which would it be? Tristan Bernard won the competition with his answer. The one nearest the, the, one nearest the exit. <laughs> you know, when it comes to winning souls, we need to have a little bit more courage than that. That which is convenient. Notice Jude talks about the peril of fire. Verse 20. And say, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Every child of God must remember that he or she is indeed on a rescue mission to pull helpless souls from the fire. Listen to how the word. I was telling Carrie this morning, I come across this passage of Scripture this morning in my study, and I know I've read the book of Proverbs before, but it was never brought to force like I read it this morning. I'm reading this from the ESV, and I love the way the ESV translates it. Same, same concept, same principle, same, same translation, but listen how it words it. Proverbs 24, 11, and 12. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your souls know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? What a piercing argument. What a piercing verse. The proverb says, go rescue them. They're stumbling 
blindly to the slaughter. And then it says, well, if you say, well, we didn't know this. Oh, God knows that you do know that. And He'll judge us accordingly. I find it interesting in our text that the word pulling in Jude 23 is a word that, it's the Greek word harpazo. Which, it's a word from which you can, you can hear it, harpoon. You know what, harpoon. I, I, I used to have G.I. Joe's and one of my favorite was this seal guy. He had this slicks on, he was an underwater guy, had flippers you could put on his feet. But he had a gun that was a spear gun. And I would do, do, do. And that spear gun, it launches this arrow out in the, in the water. And it goes, and it pulls in the prey. It has a rope to it. And you can pull out back. What it, it's a harpoon. A harpoon gun. That's what he's talking about here. A harpoon gun. It, it's to quickly go out and pull back that which it strikes. Jude is speaking here of an eternal fire, not an earthly fire. Earthly fire consumes as it burns, and eternal fire burns, but it does not consume. The fires of hell are fueled by the righteous judgment of a holy God and His hatred for sin. Now, the truth of the matter is, you may be here and you roll your eyes at that type of hell, fire, and brimstone reminding or preaching. I want you to know, I'm in very good company. When I talk about the reality of eternal torment, conscious eternal torment in the Bible. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 13, 41 and 42. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, 41 Then shall he say also unto them on my left hand Depart from me ye cursed into everlasting fire Prepared for the devil and his angels Matthew 25, 46 And these shall go away into everlasting punishment But the righteous into, into life eternal Just as much as those that are saved Are in eternal bliss in heaven just as much as that is true, is true the fact that those that are eternal lost are in eternal perpetual banishment and pain in a literal, physical, burning hell. Just as true. People can laugh about hell. They can joke about it, mock it, sneer it, make fun of it. But it will only take five seconds after death for the lost sinner to believe in a burning, everlasting hell. The peril of fire. Notice the pull of fear. 23. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Verse 22 says that we are to have compassion. But that compassion is mixed with fear. Fear is the driving force behind courage. The problem is that the lost sinner does not know that the fires of hell rage beneath them, but we do. We that know the full counsel of God's Word, we that know the Gospel, know that there are consequences to sin, to rejecting Jesus Christ. And they're clueless. They don't know this. Or they reject it. And yet they are still entitled to us telling them with urgency and fear that there 
are in danger of the judgment of God. I'm told that it is illegal to shout fire in a crowded theater when there is no fire. But it is a far worse crime to know that there is a fire and say nothing. It's called depraved indifference. I talked to you about that a little bit last week. Depraved indifference. To see danger, imminent danger to someone and to say nothing, to do nothing is a cause for prosecution under the law. General Booth of the Salvation Army had a solution for depraved indifference when he said he wished every one of his soldiers could spend five minutes in hell for they would then come back with a greater burden for the loss for those, for those that are around them. The lost people walking in and out of our lives are just a heartbeat away from the eternal torment of God's wrath. Paul reminds us of that responsibility in the book of Romans. Now I want you to understand something. The book of Romans is very clear. Romans 8 and Romans 9, you study those out, you'll know that any salvation is a sovereign move of God. Paul is clear about that. There's no denying it. And yet at the same time, Romans 10, 14, and 15, listen to what Paul says about our responsibility to God's saving sovereign grace. How then shall they call upon Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Even as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that bring the glad tidings of good news. We have a responsibility to share the gospel no matter what the Bible says about the sovereignty of God in election and how God saves some and doesn't save others. Our responsibility is to share the gospel. If you think that the sovereignty of God prevents you and excuses you from the responsibility to share the gospel, then you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Because Paul is clear, we, they will not hear unless it comes from our mouth. Unless we say. Years ago in England, alarm bells were sounded in the, in the night signaling a fire. The townspeople came running to Samuel and Susanna's house engulfed in flames. Six of their seven children were accounted for. Soon in the upstairs window they saw little Johnny begging for help as the flames billowed behind him and smoke belts from the tiny house. Two men stood on shoulders of others to reach that window and to pluck little Johnny from that fire. That little Johnny grew up to be John Wesley, the great Methodist preacher and in his journal reflected on that day as being a brand plucked from the burning. As a side note, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but there is a schism in the Methodist church right now. And I, I want to say publicly that I thank God for Trenton Methodist Church, not United Methodist Church anymore, Trenton Methodist Church and Wahatchee Methodist Church in Tiftona. They have taken a stand 
for the Bible. And I praise God that the legacy of John Wesley is being carried on, carried on in the Methodist church. Amen. But we have a responsibility. When you share the gospel, it is you reaching on another man's shoulders to pull little Johnny from the window as a brand plucked from the burning. It is the fires of hell that should motivate the courage of Christians to reach out and to rescue the perishing. Never forget, years ago, they used to have prison revivals at Hamilton County. It's where I cut my teeth on preaching the gospel. And at these prison revivals, it wasn't just for the guys that came out that wanted to come for the services. They let us go on the guard walk in the back to the guys that didn't want to come to the church service. And I'll never forget. I, and what you're supposed to do is you just pull up, bars in front of you, guys in the back wanting to be left alone. You open the Bible and say, hey, I'd like to share some things with you. And you just start going to preaching. And that's what I did. The very first stop, very first stop, about 04, 2004, I pulled up. Hey, fellas, I'd like to share the Word of God with you. Turned to Hebrews and started talking about the Scripture, started talking about the Gospel. And there were some voices from the back of that room, Islamic voices that said, Jesus is an apostate, that Jesus, God has no son, and begin to scream me down and begin to say all manner of vile thing. And now I'm telling you what, it scared me. It scared me. I did my best to bumble through a few more words, but I walked around the corner and I, I, I let my back against that wall and sat down on the ground and I began to cry just because I was scared, just because I was frightened by that situation. But the reality is, it is just as important to share the good news with them as it is to the lady at the grocery store or the guy, or the guy delivering the mail. It's just as important. Swallow your fear and tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. How shall they hear without a preacher, a gossiper? Gossip the gospel. Tell someone about Jesus. Compassionate to the sinner that is doubted. Courageous for the sinner that is in danger. But also careful with the sinner that is determined. Look at the latter part of verse 23. Hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. In these verses that we've studied, we've seen three types of sinners. The one who has not made up their mind. One that has begun to walk the crumbling path toward hell. And then here we see a third. This one is deeply entrenched in their anti-gospel thinking. One who has completely thrown off any semblance of restraint and has gone headlong into sin. For this one, Jude is saying we should have caution. We should be careful. Jude says to watch out, to be cautious toward this sinner. Notice, notice the polluted condition. He talks about garments Spotted with the flesh. Hating even the garments spotted with the flesh. There has been much debate through the years as to the meaning of Jude's words here. The the word garment in our text is a, a word that means not an outward cloak, but something soft and thin that is worn on the inside of clothing. You might think of it as a, a t-shirt or 
or an undergarment, something that's worn next to the skin that is light, that it's easily washable. That's what it's referring to when it says garment. And spotted with the flesh, I mean, there's no way around it. Jude is talking about garments, this underwear, that is spotted with the flesh. It is stained by the flesh. It is stained by human waste. B.O. Other unseemly smells. That, that's what Jude is getting out here. This is a filthy garment. This is not something that anyone would treasure or want to, uh, want to handle. This is a filthy garment. Now listen to this vivid picture. This is a vivid picture of the defilement of sin. Sin is insidious like disease. It ruins like rot. It hardens the will, disorders the affections, and darkens the understanding. Sin binds and blinds those it charms. There are those that are determined in their sinful condition to follow a path of willful rebellion towards God. They are apostates through and through. They will not. They adamantly refuse the gospel Because they like their soiled, filthy condition. This is the soiled, sinful condition of those without Jesus Christ. No matter how clean an appearance they may have on the outside, every sinner is just as polluted as Jude depicts in his first century letter. Polluted condition but also a possible contamination. Did he say, don't reach for those? Did he say, leave those alone? No. In the same action as you reach in compassion toward the doubting, reach in compassion towards those others, he said, reach in compassion towards those that are completely defiled, completely filthy, in a polluted condition. But despite our, their condition, our great, commandment, great commission says that every sinner is the object of God's abounding love and therefore should have the gospel of the Lord Jesus shared with them. The spotted, soiled, sinful condition of the lost like the garments of a leper which have disease-transmitting capability should be handled with care. You say, Brother Ronnie, what do you mean? Do you know what's the most dangerous thing to a lifeguard? You know, you go to the the beach and you see the lifeguard, he's up on that tower. Do you know the most dangerous thing to that lifeguard is? The person that he's trying to save. So many times that's happened. A lifeguard has gone out to save someone, and in their frantic desperation, they pull the lifeguard down, and in doing so, both people die. One author said, before a man can rescue others, he must himself be strong in the faith. His own feet must be firm on the dry land before he can throw a life belt to the man who is likely to be swept away. 
Jude is telling us, as you go after sinners, as you have compassion on them, have caution. Be careful. If we do not realize the danger of what we're dealing with when pursuing souls, we open ourselves up to be ensnared by Satan. Example, a teenager does not have to go drinking with your buddies to befriend them, to try to lead them to the Lord. The husband does not need to develop an emotional attachment with the woman at work so that he can win her to Jesus. Listen, she's not the woman at the well and you ain't Jesus. So you better be cautious in what you do. Wife, you do not need to be friendly, the friendly confidant of that family friend going through a divorce to shine the light of the gospel in his life. Lives have been shipwrecked. Ministries have put, put on a shelf. And homes have been destroyed over such carelessness. Samuel Gordon said, A moment of rash indiscretion can wreck a lifetime of ministry. Don't isolate yourself from sinners, just be sure to insulate yourself from sinners. Insulate. Insulate. Know where you've extended beyond your capability and your reach when trying to, to, trying to reach someone for Jesus Christ. To close, Fox News reported in, on May 14th of 2012 an Oklahoma Marine made the ultimate sacrifice when he pulled a friend out of a fiery plane wreck, saving her life, but suffering fatal burns over 90% of his body. Hannah Luke, Hannah Luke was the lone survivor of a twin-engine Cessna 401 crash just northwest of Chanute, uh, Kentucky. Three companions aboard the flight Stephen Luth, Luke Sheets, and Garrett Cole died instantly. But Austin Anderson, 27, and Luke, 22, survived the crash. Luke was trapped inside the burning fuselage, but Anderson managed to pull her out and guide her to the nearby road. Luke had a passerby call her father while they waited for an ambulance, which then took them to Wichita Hospital, Anderson died there early Saturday morning. Ron Luke, Hannah's father, said, Austin served two tours in Iraq, and he was willing to give his life for his country. He was willing to give his life for a friend. He was always willing to go the extra mile. Listen, you may never be called on to go the extra mile to save a friend from a burning building or a crashed plane or from the wreckage of a, of, a, of a car accident. But we were sent by our Heavenly Father to do what we can, where we can, and go the extra mile to rescue the perishing, care for the dying that are right in our sphere of influence. Jude calls us to this. Fear with fear. Reaching out, looking to harpazo. Now I admit, I can't harpazo people and bring them to church. I can't grab them by the arm. But I can at least grab their attention for one moment and tell them Jesus saves. 
What a challenge to my own cold heart this morning. What a challenge to every single one of us. Who are we as a church if we are not people that are actively, weakly, doing what we can, going the extra mile to share the good news of Jesus Christ? Listen, there's not any way in this world that I could preach such a message without calling for all of us to do great heart searching. And you may be here, that you, you may be lost this morning. Do you realize that you walk a crumbling border between eternal, uh, between, between this life and an eternal torment in a conscious hell? You are walking a crumbling path at any moment you could go out into eternity. Believe the gospel. Come put your faith and trust in Jesus. He died on the cross for your sins. He shed His precious blood so that you could be, as we've sung earlier, set free. Free from the condemnation. Free from the grave. Free to, to know Him in saving faith. It's a call to you to come. But for us that do know the gospel, that have been born again, know Jesus Christ in saving faith, our challenge is clear. We have got to change. There, be, there are going to be some things that I will want to, true, to do personally in response to this message in the coming days that will encourage us, that will be a weekly reminder to us that we have a responsibility to tell someone about Jesus. Whether it's invite somebody to church, whether it's hand somebody a gospel track and then run away as fast as you can. It does not matter to me. The reality is we are to be responsible to share the good news, to do what we can for those that are slipping out into the fires of hell all around. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. Jude is very clear. If we know anything, verse 22 and 23 are said with such urgency, such emergency. It is an emergency for those that are around us day in and day out. We cannot be apathetic in the times that we, in which we live. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. I thank you. I thank you for the challenge to my heart, the conviction by the Holy Spirit of my apathy in personal evangelism. Lord, I'm, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I'm a lion behind the pulpit. But so many times I can be a mouse outside of Oh God, oh God, let Jude's words of urgency be a check to my heart every time I cross paths with someone. God, help me to be continually armed, ready to give a witness of the hope that lies within me. God, ready to share a track in a moment's notice. Father, I pray you would speak to all of our hearts. We pray for those that may be lost in this room. That they would come and know Jesus Christ. They would believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved. Put their faith and trust on a, on a wonderful Savior. That is able to keep us and deliver us faultless before the throne. The adoration of Jude is coming next week. But, but God may I dip into it. He is able to keep us. To bring us safely into your presence. Thank you. Thank you Father. Thank you for the saving faith that I know is a reality in my own heart. Thank you for those that are in this room that know that same saving faith. I pray for those that do not. 
if they come to faith in Jesus Christ. Father, touch hearts. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen.